According to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, that believers are to make a defense for the hope that you have. Also Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We are commanded to defend the word of God, the context of the word of God, and the purity of the word of God. This is the defender of the word of God. Good evening, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, we are back on The Defender. My name is James Fox, and I'm so happy that you decided to join us tonight. Thank you for allowing us to come into your living room, uh, wherever you may be, with your mobile devices or with your computers up or on the telephone, wherever you may be and wherever environment you're in. We want to thank you for allowing us to come and be with you tonight on The Defender. We are so glad to have you tonight. Tonight is Wednesday, August the 30th, 2017, and we have an exciting time in store for you tonight. If you have been traveling with us lately, we've been dealing with some very uh, complex but simple things in the same sense, some profound things the Lord has been releasing to us in regards to his holy word, and that's really getting a concrete understanding of what the scriptures is describing. So I want to thank you for coming aboard. I want to thank the Resilient Christian Radio Network once again for having us on as a broadcaster and coming live every Wednesday to people's homes and to uh, different places throughout the nation where people can tune in and just come a part of what we're doing here on The Defender. So we want to thank the Resilient Christian Radio Network for allowing us to do that. And I also want to thank all of our listeners. You don't know how important you are to us because without you, we would not exist. So we do want to thank you for taking you know, time out of your day. Even though we're a 24-hour network, you take the time to view in, I mean, to, to call in or to turn on your mobile devices and, and go on the Internet and get to hear this radio broadcast. So we want to thank you for doing it because without you, like we say always, there would be no us. So we pray that this broadcast has been a blessing to you. Uh, if you would, when you hear a broadcast, just put a like on the page or you can send an email to thedefenderofgod at gmail.com and leave your comments and your questions because we really want to know what type of effect the broadcast is having on you and if it is benefiting for you. The only way you can know if you're being effective if, is for you to be able to be assessed. And so we welcome your assessment. Amen. All right, so tonight, I think you're going to really enjoy tonight. We are back at the desk again, and we're going to be talking about something that we've heard a lot about. You've heard it just in passing. You've heard it maybe in uh, certain religious settings or when you heard sermons before, and you may have understood it. You may not have, but we're going to get some real concrete foundational understanding and, and let the Lord reveal the scripture to us and give us the language of the scripture so we can really follow along and know what God is talking about. So if you've been following the last broadcast, we've been dealing with certain issues related to Christ and his parables. Last week uh, we dealt with, uh, or the week before we dealt with the seed of separation, and then uh, the week after that we dealt with um, uh, what was it? Your ways. It was a what was it called? Okay, somebody help me. <laughs> I know. I know somebody. Yeah. Uh, uh, consider your ways. We dealt with that, uh, and that was a very uh, impactful broadcast, if I may say so myself. Impactful on me. And then just last week, we also uh, launched another broadcast, and hopefully that broadcast was beneficial to you as well. Uh, so we want to thank you again for uh, being with us. Uh, we are just so excited that you decided to come along and journey with us and where we're going. So we want to open up tonight with a word of prayer and just ask God to really illuminate and to clarify his word to give us understanding because the Bible says in all that getting, we must get understanding. And many of us in the Christian walk, 
once we become saved, we lose a lot of ground because we don't get proper instruction and we don't know how to progress in where we need to go. Uh, we kind of talked about last week how, uh, how a person can be lame, how they can be uh, crippled. Uh, and these things can be in the spirit. They, you can be crippled and be maimed in the spirit to where you don't know how to progress any further. And we talked about that in detail last broadcast. So tonight we're going to open up the Word of God. As we always say, you need to have your Bible with you. Uh, have a Bible ready because this is an uh, online uh, community-wide Bible gathering. This is a gathering where we can come together and we can feast on the Word of God because I don't care who's preaching, who's teaching, who's doing whatever they're doing. If you do not have the Word of God, you are not going to grow. Did you get that? I said, if you do not have the word of God, you're not going to grow. I put a posting out uh, last week and said that the first step, and I quoted Dr. Bill Winston, I said the first step to being prosperous is having the word of God. And that's something that he said. And it's so true. If you really want to be prosperous in life, you have to have the word of God. And then you've got to understand what prospering means to go forward from there. And there's so many different levels to that. But tonight specifically, we want to deal with something that we all have to do. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what's your racial ethnicity. I don't care what your cultural background is. I don't care what your economic status is or where you live or what you do. A basic component of the physiological makeup of a human being is that they all, or we all, you and I, we all have to eat. Did you get that? We all, as human beings, have to eat. And I think that if anybody's listening to this, they can attest to that. If you are living, you have to eat. If you are alive in a physical body, you have to eat in order to survive. It's just the common makeup of all humanity. We all share that drive, that desire, and that experience is that we have to eat. So in saying that, if I had a title at all to this broadcast tonight, if there was any message to convey or any question that I would ask you, as a matter of fact, let me ask this. And this is the title for us tonight. And this title states, Are You Hungry? I'm going to repeat that again. The title of tonight's broadcast is called, Are You Hungry? With a big question mark behind that. Now, when we get into defining words, we must understand the context and get the concept, the definition of what we're talking about. So pretty much I would say everybody knows what it's like to be hungry or everybody knows what it's like to have hunger and to have to satisfy it. So we're going to deal with a couple of definitions and some uh, terminology that will help us get a proper context on it. And this deals with uh, hunger as a motivation. So here we are. Something says here, hunger, motivation. It refers to the drive that living beings have to eat as a means of satisfying hunger. This is a primary drive and what makes training animals and controlling people so effective. Even though most humans are capable of living for extended periods of time without eating, and some of us do that because we fast at times, we are all familiar with the hunger pangs and cravings that go with not eating for several hours. This is what makes food such an effective tool for behavior management. I love that description. Looking at it like that, using food as an effective tool for behavior management and everybody knowing what it's like to go without eating and to have hunger pains. This is what drives the economies of the world. This is what drives the uh, structures and 
the, the complex natures that things deal, people deal with in all different types of systems. Because no matter what they do, you can't get away from the aspect of having hunger and having to eat to satisfy that hunger. It's something that everybody has to experience. As soon as a child is born, they're crying for food. Even before they come out of the womb, they are needing food. They need nutrition. They need supplement. They need nourishment in order to survive. So if we look at a definition of hunger, here is a couple. It says it's a feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by lack of food coupled with the desire to eat. I like that. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. It says a feeling of discomfort or weakness caused by lack of food coupled with the desire to eat. So it's twofold. It's twofold. You're discomforted because you don't have what you need. And then because of that, there's a drive and a desire for you to eat so that you can satisfy that. Here is another one. It says it's to have a strong desire or craving for. Now, this can refer to, in these terms, referring to somebody or those that go after something and will stop at nothing to get it. You've heard the terminology, uh, you're not hungry enough. You're on a job and you want to rise to the top. You're trying to get that next position. And, you know, you're just doing what everybody else do to get by. And you're not really exerting any extra effort. And you may hear somebody say to you, well, if you want that position, you need to, you need to, you need to produce more. You need to push out more. You don't really want it because it doesn't seem to me like you're hungry enough. And when you're hungry for something, you go and get it. It's the same thing, and it applies to anything, any, any uh, type of profession, basketball, football, uh, sports, or business, or whatever have you. Uh, people are always making a reference to they're hungry, so if they're hungry, they're going after something to satisfy something. They're going after something because they're trying to quench a desire. They're trying to fill up something, so they have an appetite, and this is what we're talking about tonight. So if you have your Bibles ready, turn to the book of John, chapter 6. It's the book of John, chapter 6, and we're dealing with a topic that says, Are you hungry? Some of the synonyms with that goes with the lack of food, hungriness, or ravenous, or, being, or having emptiness. These are things that refer to hunger, or are you hungry? You can only turn on the television and see that this is broadcast throughout. I know about that because I've been in the food business for a long time. So I'm constantly dealing with feeding people or taking care of different things that has to do with the nutritional value of supplying uh, food for people, whether it's uh, knowing what they're eating or supplying what they are eating. You know, this is something that, that we do. You see it on the television all day long. But here we're going to talk about hunger in a significant way tonight. We're going to talk about hunger as it deals with the Word of God and it deals with Christ coming to explain or to, or to uh, become what we need for satisfying hunger. So let's turn to John chapter 6, okay? Let's get there. Y'all ready? John chapter 6, and let's read together. I'm reading out of the King James Version. I know you have different versions, but we're going to stick with that just for this broadcast. All right, so let's go with this. We're starting at John chapter 6. And so let's pray before we get into this, because we really need the Lord to speak something significantly to our spirit. I pray that you really tune in tonight and you really have your pen, your pencils ready. Be ready to write, because God is going to release something through this message through this broadcast. So, Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us. Thank you, Father. We ask you forgive us of our sins and our trespasses. Lord, cleanse our mind, cleanse our heart. Let us wash ourselves from everything we went through today. Let us put those things aside. And for these brief moments, let us come into fellowship with you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, in the atmosphere. We invite you in the environment to illuminate our minds, our hearts, and our spirit that we can receive what you want us to have. We ask to be forgiven of all our sins and our trespasses and transgressions, that we walk with no offense toward anyone tonight, and we forgive those that may have trespassed against us. 
And we ask for a clean slate, God, that we can hear from you and we can take what you have given us and receive it and walk in it. We thank you for that and we give you the glory and the praise. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And everybody agree with that said, amen. All right. So we hope you got your Bibles open and ready. Let's go ahead and get to John chapter 6. We're going to read together, okay? I'd like for us to do this as a group. So let's read, okay? Ready? Let's read. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, you have to read back before the story because Jesus dealt with a case of somebody that was um, a healing took place at a pool. But now here we are at the sea, okay? That's very significant. Now, most of the time in the scriptures, the sea is representing the world. And here in this case, we're talking about a scene of somebody that is going to need something. In this instance, we're talking about people that are hungry and they need to be fed. People that are hungry and they need to be fed. So let's read on. So it says, verse 2, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Now these are a group of people following him, and they're following him because they saw miracles. But in the word of God, it also tells us, Jesus said, I'm looking for those that's not looking for miracles. They just walk with me because they love me and because they believe my word and they want to fellowship with me and be in my presence. There's nothing wrong with miracles. Miracles are phenomenal. I pray for miracles. I hope you're praying for them. But don't let miracles be the primary reason why you are just attracted to the Lord. That comes as a needed, uh, that comes as a benefit, like a benefit package. The miracles come because he is the miracle. So don't let that be the only reason that you desire to follow. But here is this great multitude. They follow him because of the miracles which he did on the people that was diseased. So he was going around healing people. So we dealt with healing. Now, in verse 3, it says, And Jesus went up to a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So when you're going up into a mountain with the Lord, this is saying for you and me, family and friends, we must be willing to go to the high places with the Lord. Did you get that? We got to be willing to go up to the high places with the Lord. Some things God would not reveal on an even level or on a flat surface. Something God would not reveal if you continue to stay in the place of where you are. Did you hear that? Some things that the Lord wants to reveal to you, family and friends, you're going to have to go up to a higher level. You're going to have to travel up further in your spirit in order to receive what God is wanting to implant in your life. All right, so let's read on. It says, in the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. That just means that it was time for the Passover. Now, you know, here in the last episode that we dealt with in the broadcast, Jesus was, he had healed a man uh, he had healed a man, and he had healed that man on the Sabbath day. He had healed him on the Sabbath day, and the people were looking at him, watching him, seeing what he was going to do. And he basically broke it down to him, said, will you not be a person that's wanting to save life, or are you going to stick to your rules and tradition and let this man die? That's what it came down to. So here we are again. The Passover is coming, and the Feast of Jesus is near. So it says, verse 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So he see all these people coming, so he know they're hungry. He know they're going to need to eat, so he asked his disciples. He said, then where are we going to get some bread? You know, people are always looking for bread. Bread, they're looking for something to eat at all times. Anytime there's a storm coming, you can't find bread in the grocery store, hardly. You never see it. So we know that in this passage of Scripture that God is dealing with us in a significant way. So we have here in verse 7, there is Philip answering to the Lord after he said that. He said unto him, he said, we got 200 penny worth of bread. It's not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now, 
here, here is uh, the, the Pennyworth or what he's basically saying is that this is the, he's going to pay, we got the chief silver coin of the Romans. It was considered good pay for a day's labor. Okay, so this is what he's had, this is what he has and what he's going to use in order to be able to buy the bread. So let's read on a bit further here. Verse 8, it says, Then one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, he said, listen, there's a lad here, it's small, it's a little boy here, and he had five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So here we, we got to understand something. You know, the Bible is very significant and very descriptive when it speaks about what God is speaking and what he's saying. So here we have a, a footnote in the recovery verse in the Bible. On verse 9, it talks about the loaves. It said, now the loaves are of the vegetable life, and they signify the generating aspect of Christ's life. It said he has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Now fish are of the animal life, and they signify the redeeming aspect of Christ's life. As the generating life, Christ grows in the land, the God-created earth. As the redeeming life, he lives in the sea, which is the Satan-corrupted world. So in order to regenerate us, he grew on the God-created earth that he might reproduce in order to redeem us. He lived in a satanic and sinful world, but he is not sinful, not affected by the world, just as fish live in salt water but are not salty. So we got to understand that part. Here we are. God is really significantly speaking in the things that he's saying. You hear the people talking about the number five. Five is always dealing with grace and dealing with responsibility, meaning that Christ is the responsible, he's the responsible one to be our supply to life to live. He is the bread that we're going to consume. He is the very substance that we need in order to live. And see, when we begin to understand the significance of who Christ is and what he is to us, we won't need other things to fill that place. How many people know what it's like to be hungry for something? And once you get it, you're hungry. And once you get it, that thing that you're hungry for, it still does not satisfy you. Well, this is the way that it is. There's many people living in the world today that have so many things that we crave for, but they, are, they themselves are not fulfilled, and they themselves do not have the sensation of feeling satisfied and adequate in what they have pursued. So this is why Jesus always says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What he's saying, seek my way of living, seek to be constituted with my likeness and my spirit. Because if you do that, then other things, you'll be able to live and move in this world very freely. And it won't draw you to do things that are not convenient or not conducive for your life or for your growth. So it says here that he had 200 penny worth of the bread and he said it wasn't sufficient. He said that they got five barley loaves. And that's always significant when he's talking about uh, barley. You know, we know that barley... If you're doing any history on it uh, in, 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 in knowing about Jewish culture in that land, they always talk about barley. And barley, it, it ripens very early, and it's the first of the harvest. Okay, so significantly speaking, we're talking about Christ because everything that the Lord gives us as a parallel or as a representation in the Word of God, he's always given us a picture of himself. Did you get that? The Lord is always trying to give us a picture of himself. Remember in, the, in, in, in Egypt when the children of Israel were hungry and they were fed with, they called it manna, okay? So there was the bread, there was these little wafers, there was this thing that fell from heaven that fed them and sustained them. Well, these are representations of what Christ is like. See, he is everything that we need for our supply of life and to live. Notice that when we're talking about these things, we're dealing with something that goes inside you. Did you get that? 
We're dealing with something that goes inside you, and that's what makes the difference of us and people that believe other things or walk in other religions. It's because we have a God that lives inside of us. Everything that Christ is trying to do, he's trying to do inside of you and inside of me. Because once the inward part changes, then the outward behavior will change. Did you get that? Once, once the inward parts of an individual change, then the outward behavior or expression of that individual would change as well. That's why it's, it's almost futile to try to curb different habits and things that you do with the force of your own psyche or the force of your own willpower or your own soulish inclinations because you will have to continue to exert that type of strength to try to subdue the very thing that you're trying to keep from doing. This is why God always says that we must be born again or born anew. And we talked about that over and over in these broadcasts. Because you have to have a new life generated in your spirit in order to walk out the things that God wants you to walk out. You have to have a new nature. We talked about that in the nature of the beast, that you are born naughty by nature. It's in the nature of man to sin and to do wrong things. Well, the only way you curb that is by having another person, another nature to come and live inside of you. So just note that everything that God does, he always starts with doing it inside of the individual. So here we are again. Let's go on a bit further here so we can get more understanding about what this phenomenal word of God is trying to teach us. And so, and so Jesus said, he said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So here we, here we are again. There's a lot of people there, and Jesus said, make them sit down. See, when you come to the Lord, that's the first thing you got to do, sit down. Did you get that? When you come to the Lord, the first thing you got to do is sit down. If you want to be fed with the likeness, the life-giving spirit and the likeness of Christ, you got to allow yourself to sit down. What does that mean? It's figuratively speaking. That means that you got to sit down or set aside your own agenda, your own thoughts, your own way of doing things. You got to sit aside and sit down. When you sit down, that means you have come to a place of humility. That means you come to a place where you can be taught. Did you get that? So people that run around, they're standing up, they're running full force, and they've never sat down or never takes any breaks to sit down. Well, can't nobody tell them anything? Can't anything be imparted to them because they don't sit long enough to be taught? Or they're not sitting long enough to be fed in this instance. Notice that Jesus is dealing with feeding. He's not dealing with teaching because if you deal with the feeding, then the teaching will naturally come. Did you get that? Once you deal with the feeding, then the teaching will naturally come. The feeding and the teaching, they go hand in hand, but feeding is for life. And teaching is for education or for enlightenment. It's for uh, understanding or getting comprehension. But feeding is for life. So Jesus here in this passage of Scripture is dealing with life. That's why he says, I am the life. He says that I am the life. In here, he's talking about himself being the bread of life. And we're going to get to that. So he said, sit down. Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So here we are again. We're dealing with the barley loaves and we're dealing with the fish. Now Jesus is in the feeding business. This is what he does. He's in the feeding business to give us life. Verse 12 says, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. 13, therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remain over and above unto them that are eaten. So here we are again. Jesus is dealing with us as the supply of life. He's dealing with us to be our all-sufficiency. So, listen, there's always more than enough 
when it comes to the Lord to go around. There's always more. And this is the picture that he's trying to get us to understand. When he's involved in something, there's always more there. There's, there's never a, a, a lack of anything. There's never any poverty. There's never any uh, lack. There's never any need of having, uh, uh, not being able to have enough because he is more, he is the God that is more than enough. Did you get that? He is the God that is more than enough. Let's read on. 14 said, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Now, here it is again. Yes, it was a miracle that Jesus did, but understand this. They are looking for a prophet. They're looking for a promised prophet. This is what they're looking for. They're looking for what their nation has said is going to come. This person is going to restore the kingdom. This person is going to go to war and is going to take down their enemies and their adversaries and set them up in their proper place. So here they are referring to him as a prophet or a spokesman for God. They did this once they saw the miracle that he did. Remember, Jesus is not against miracles. He is the miracle worker. He performs miracles. But miracles in itself is not what's going to keep you alive. Being fed is what's going to keep you alive. Did you get that? Miracles in itself is not going to keep you alive, but being fed is what is going to keep you alive. So Christ here is trying to exercise a truth and get it over into us. So let's read 15. It says, so when Jesus therefore perceived, that they will come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus again, he went up to a high place again. He went up to somewhere where they got to go up in the spirit. They got to go up to be able to get where he is because in their mentality, they wanted to make him king. So they're still dealing with earthly things. They're still dealing with things in the earthen level. They want to make him king. They wanted to make him this big, big, big uh uh, figurehead. This is what they wanted to do. They desired to exalt him in the natural way. But he was saying, listen, no, I'm coming to give you life. You don't need me in the big way. You need me in the small way. Did you get that? The Lord is saying, you don't need me in the big way. You need me in the small way. And what does he mean by that? That's why he broke himself down and why he's given a picture of these little fish and this barley, which are small items, because he's for feeding, he's for giving us life. All right, so he departed. Now let's look again. Verse 16, it says, And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. So here they're going down unto the sea. They're looking for him. And so they entered into a ship, right? Now they're in this ship. And uh, it says, They entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. So here it is. It's dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them. It says, and then the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. Okay, so here it is. Here's the sea. And we're talking about the sea. Remember the sea being the world. What are things that are in the world that are turbulent? We got so many storms and things that are going on right now and that are happening that has happened when the seas become enraged. Anytime that happens, there's a personality behind those things. So the sea is raging, but here it is. It's dark, and Jesus had not come to them. So the wind had blew, and the sea had risen by this great wind. It says so in 19, when they had rowed about 5 and 20 or 30 furlongs, that's talking about three or four miles, uh, figuratively speaking. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he said unto them, it's I, be not afraid. So here it is, the Lord here, it, you know, here he is overruling everything in the world. Him walking on the sea is basically telling you and me, family and friends, that no matter what you're going through in life, if it's tossing you to and fro, Jesus can walk over that situation. Did you get that? No matter what you're dealing with, whatever's tossing you to and fro in life, Jesus can get you over that situation. Because he said to them, listen, it's me. Hey, fellas, it's me. I'm walking to you. But I'm over the natural things of the world. I have subdued the natural things of the world. 
So then in 21, it said, Then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land where they went. So here it is. They're going on a journey. And figuratively speaking, here it is. They came into the, he came into their ship. So that's telling you and me, listen, let's let Christ get in the boat with us. Let's let him get into a boat. What is our boat? Our boat is everything. Our ship is everything that constitutes our life and our being. It's our, our, our life, our business, our job, our home, our marriage, our kids, everything that we do. That's our ship. You ever heard the phrase somebody say, well, this is your ship, and if it sink, it's going to be your fault. Well, they're saying you're the captain of your own ship. Basically, they're saying you are the director of your life. You're the captain of your ship. So whatever happens on your ship, you are going to be held accountable for that because it's your ship. So this is the same instance here. But here in this, we are allowing Christ, the Lord, to come into our ship. Because it says as soon as that happened, look at verse 21. It says, and what immediately the ship was at the land where they went. So whenever you let the Lord come into your life, your destination is guaranteed. Did you get that? Whenever you let the Lord come into your life, your destination is guaranteed. And it said they got there immediately. So once God came into the picture, once he became involved in their affairs, they got on land. They was on solid ground. Let's look at verse 22. Are you sticking with me? All right, let's keep going. It said, then they willingly received the ship. Okay, so verse 22. Here we go. It said, the day following, and this is the next day, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus was not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Let's read on. How be it? There came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. You see that? So there's more coming. There's more coming at this time. There's more coming. All right. So here we are. Let's keep on going. So it says in 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Or when they say the word rabbi, they're saying teacher. So before, let's remember, when he did the miracle, they said this is that prophet that came, that was talked about. The prophet that was prophesied about, they called him that when he did the miracles. Now here in this Instance in 25, they called him rabbi. So now they're calling him teacher. So they found him on the sidewalk. They said, okay, teacher, when comest thou hither? When did you get over here, basically, is what they're saying. So Jesus said to them, he said, verily, verily, I say to you, anytime you see verily, verily, that's another meaning for truly, truly, I say to you, he said, you seek me, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. So he's talking to the ones that called him teacher. These were the ones who were on the other side of the sea. They're calling him teacher, and he's saying, no, you're seeking me not because you saw the miracle. So this is a different group that he's speaking to right here. He said, but you're seeking me because you, you ate of the loaves. You got fed. You got fed. When you came around me, you got fed, and you were filled up. And so this is the reason that you're seeking me. So he's not asking them about them saying, them asking him when did he get there. He's saying the reason why you're seeking me. So let's make sure that we know why we're seeking God. Whenever he comes is whenever he decides to come. But our seeking has got to have the principle of why we are seeking and what we're looking for. So Jesus begins to go into this thing and tell them about what they should do. He says, labor not for the meat which perish. So basically saying, listen, don't work for the meat. Don't work for stuff that's going to, it's going to evaporate. It's going to eventually be gone. It's going to perish. He's saying, but you need that meat which endures unto ever 
everlasting life. So now he's contrasting natural things and spiritual things. So he said, don't work for the meat that's going to perish, but work for the meat that's going to give you everlasting life. So he's basically setting up an analogy here, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Now, who's going to give it? The Son of Man is going to give it to you. It says, for who? What? Him have God the Father sealed. So God has sealed Christ. He has sealed him in the redemption plan because he is the ultimate sacrifice and the reason for redemption. Let's read in verse 28. I hope you're still following with me. I hope you got your pens and your paper and you're taking notes. All right, so it said, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Now, here it is again. They are seeking to do something. We're always thinking that we got to do something for God when God is just wanting us to believe. When we believe, the doing will follow after that. Our concept is always trying to work to get into God, and that's because we're digging from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here is, here is the Lord again. He's getting ready to set the precedent, set it straight. They said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? What did Jesus say? He said unto them, this is the work of God. So all of us, family and friends, that are asking, that are wanting to know. Now, listen, the Bible always interprets itself. So here's the Lord saying, he said, this is the work of God. What is it? That you believe on him whom he hath sent. Did you get that? That's basically telling us that we got to believe into him and we got to receive him as life. That's how you work the works of God. Believe on him and believe into him and receive him as life and your supply of life, as my supply of life. That's how we do the works of God. When we do that, everything that we do will be a natural flow out of what we have believed and what we have received. Did you get that? Everything that you do will be a natural outpouring of what you have believed and what you have received. You won't have to display that and categorize it. It'll be a natural outflow of your life and the expression of your life. Let's read in verse 30. So they said, they said therefore to him, they said, What sign showest thou then? Now here they are, they still are asking for a sign. Still. How many times that the Lord has done miraculous things in our life? He's done incredible things in our life, and we are yet still asking for a sign. So here they are again. They said, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Okay, that's, that's some old English terminology in, 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 the, in the King James Version, but we're going to make it very plain for you, okay? So they're just basically asking, can we get another sign? Show us another sign that we may see. You always hear that seeing is believing, but tasting is proof. That was from a commercial, all right? Well, they tasted the manna. I mean, they tasted the, the bread. They tasted it already. Matter of fact, they already saw what it was, and they tasted it. But here they are looking for another sign. They want some more confirmation, more confirmation that the Lord is who he say he is. Now here they go into their dissertation. They say, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And we talked about that a couple of passages ago. They're talking about their ancestors. When they was in the desert, they gave them bread to eat, and it was manna. It came from heaven. So here is Jesus again. He getting ready to talk to them again, straight talk, real talk. He says, very, very, or truly, truly. This is verse 32. He said, I say unto you, Moses gave you that bread from heaven. He said he gave you not the bread from heaven. But my father give you the true bread from heaven. 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and give life unto the world. Jesus is basically telling you and me, family and friends, that listen, the bread of God, it was him. He came down from heaven, his incarnation. See, Christ 
as the spirit was sent to the earth as a food supply for you and I. He was sent incarnate in a fleshly body, died and was crucified and died and rose to become the life-giving spirit so that you and I can have something to sustain us. Because once Jesus is here, we won't need to go after natural eating anymore. Did you get that? Now here he is again. He said, the bread of God which has come down from heaven and give life unto the world. Notice he didn't say the bread of he didn't say the bread of God which come down from heaven that gives teaching doctrines to the world. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say the bread of heaven that comes down that gives miracles or signs or wonders to the world. Although those things are significant, and he did that. He said it gives life unto the world. Jesus is always about life. Anytime you see death, there's the absence of life, meaning there's the absence of Christ. Did you get that? All right, let's go on. Okay, so it says 35 or 34. This is them answering him. They said, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They still not understand it. They said, Lord, give us this bread. Because they want to know, what is this bread you're talking about? He's speaking in, in symbolic language, and they're still not comprehending or understanding. So they said, Lord, give us this bread that you're talking about. So what did Jesus say to them? He said, I am the bread of life. Verse 35. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believe on me shall never thirst. 36. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. So they still don't believe. Jesus is telling them that he is the life that they need. He is that bread of life. He is the source of life for them. And they still cannot get it. They still do not see it. He says, so 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So here it is again. Jesus is telling them what he came to earth to do. Not his own will, but the will of the person that sent him. Now let's read verse 39. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he have given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believe on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So when he's talking about him being the bread of life, he's talking about he is the living bread. Now we talk about the living bread. We're talking about the condition of the bread, meaning it's living, it's vibrant. It has vitality. It has life. So God here is giving us another picture of what and who he is. So he said that he's going to raise him up on the last day. 41, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Those were the religious people at that time. They did not understand the significance or the symbolism that he was speaking about. So the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They murmured. They're complaining. They're, they're getting uh, uh, irritated because he's speaking things that they have no concept or grasp on. So then in 42, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? So you must understand that when you're walking with God, there are going to be natural things that are going to occur in your life and people that are going to know you in a natural form that won't receive the things that God has called you to. Did you get that? There are going to be individuals in your life that are not going to be able to receive the things that you've been called to. So here we are still talking about feeding. Now, this is, this is the title of the message is, Are You Hungry? So the question here is, what are you hungry for? i say that again. The question is, what are you hungry for? So here's Jesus talking to him again. So Jesus therefore answered him and said, murmur not among yourself. Basically, don't be murmuring and complaining amongst yourself. There's no need for you to do that. He said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
This means that God draws to himself all those that are wanting or going to come to him. There's a drawing that takes place. Everything that we do in this life as ambassadors and as emissaries for Christ is to compel men to come that they may draw unto God the Father. That's the job. That's your job description. When you got hired on in the kingdom of God, that was your job description. Verse 45, is, is it written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God? It is written, right? Every man, therefore, that have heard and have learned of the Father comes unto me. So anybody that has really heard of the Father comes unto me. This is what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, he said they shall all be taught of God. In the prophets, it said they shall be taught of God. Now let's look at the language they're going to be taught of God. I hope you're sticking with me. Stay awake. It says they're going to be taught of God. But then Christ says, Every man therefore have, that have heard and have learned of the Father comes unto me. So he didn't say those that have learned of just God. He said, But every man therefore that have heard and learned of the Father. Because saying God without saying Father can mean numerous different things. When you say Father, that means that you are the offspring of the Father. That means that you are direct descended, which means there is relationship that took place, which means there was a conception that took place. I hope you heard that, because many people can be taught of different gods, plural, and have all different types of philosophies, religions, and belief systems. But the relationship with Jesus is when a person has learned of the Father, and that's very key. When they learn of the Father, then they come to the Son. So verse 46, it says, Not that any man have seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. So the person that is of God has seen the Father, because they've seen the representation of who he is, which is Jesus. 47, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. And here's the verse right here, 48. He says, I am that bread of life. I am that bread of life. 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. Verse 50, this is the bread which come down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Did you hear that? This alone should make everybody that hears the word of God want to come to Christ and know who Jesus is because he said if you eat of this bread that came down from heaven that a man can eat of it and not die. What does that mean? That's symbolic language to say that Jesus came as the bread of life. When you take him in and receive him, that means that when you eat him, you are hungry for him, you receive him in your spirit, then your spirit is now changed to where your flesh may fall, but you yourself will never die because you are a spirit with a soul that's living in a body. Did you get that? I know that was a, that was a handful right there, but that's the gospel right there. So 51, here we go. The Lord said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So that's again, this is the crucifixion. This is the sacrifice of God, of Christ. He said, I'm giving my flesh. I'm giving over all that I am so that you can live. He said, I'm the living bread, and you got to eat this bread, and you're going to live forever. It doesn't mean that your body is not going to die, but it means that your spirit will never die. He said, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. And he's giving it for what? The life of the world. So we're still talking about feeding. We're talking about eating. We're talking about living. Now, here's the Jews. They start murmuring against themselves again. They're striving now, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They still don't comprehend the gospel. They're still not comprehending what Christ is saying. So Jesus goes into it again. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you 
have no life in you. You have no life in you. So now he's added blood. First he talked about the flesh. Now he's talking about blood. Blood deals with redemption. That's the redeeming. It took him to die on the cross to shed blood that we may have life. So if you don't receive the shed blood of Christ, this is why he says in this verse, you have no life in you. But they're still thinking of natural terms. They're, they're thinking of cannibalistic terms about eating flesh and drinking blood in the natural. No, God has given a natural occurrence but given a spiritual significance of what he's talking about. So here in 54, here it is. And we're going to close on this. It says, Whoso eat of my flesh and drink of my blood have eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. So we know here, flesh and blood is mentioned separately. The separation of blood and flesh indicates that there's got to be something that dies. So the Lord is clearly indicating that his death is going to happen. He's saying he's going to be slain. He gave his body and shed his blood for us that we may have what? Eternal life. To eat his flesh, ladies and gentlemen, so you will never be confused about it again, is to receive by faith all that he did in giving his body for us. Did you get that? To eat his flesh is to receive by faith all that he did in giving his body for us and to drink his blood so you won't be confused about that ever again is to receive by faith all that he accomplished in shedding his blood for us. To eat his flesh and drink his blood is to receive him in his redemption as life and be the supply of life by believing in what he did for us on the cross. This makes comparisons all throughout the Bible. So we got to understand about this eating and drinking that God is talking about. He's given us a symbolic language so that we can understand what he's talking about. So let's finish it up here. As the living Father, verse 57, has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. So we know if you're going to eat, that means you've got to take some food into your body. And what does it do? Food has to be broken down. It has to be assimilated. Now, I want you really to get this. So Jesus came in a form to where he could be broken down and consumed. He came in a form so that he could be processed. Because when you eat food, you and I know that means that it's got, to, uh, it's got to be assimilated into your body. You know, this is why people say you are what you eat. You've heard that before. So let's make it like this. Let's be hungry and eat on Christ because truly if we eat on him, then we will be what we eat. So when a person say you are what you eat, if you're feeding on Christ, then what they're going to say, what they're going to see, they're going to say, you are what you eat. I see that you're eating Christ, therefore you are Christ. And this is what God wants to be to you and to me. This is the way of life that God intends for all those that hunger. I pray that this broadcast has spoke to your spirit and given you clarity and understanding about what God is meaning when he's speaking these things through the scripture. So if you are hungry for life's desires, the things that are in life, know that everything will come. You will get something one day and it will be gone the next. And you'll still have that hunger in you. But when your hunger is for the Lord Christ, he comes and satisfies all hunger and all thirst because he becomes a deposit. He becomes the food bank in your spirit that you may live thereby. I want to thank you for joining us tonight on The Defender. I pray that these scriptures have been opened up into your mind and your spirit that you have been able to receive. it. We thank you for joining us. We are on every Wednesday at 9 o'clock p.m. 
Central Standard Time, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My name is James Fox. I thank you for joining us on The Defender. We'll see you again next time. Have a great evening. Good night. The Defender is an online radio broadcast geared toward teaching the Word of God. Our aim is to present the scriptures of the Bible in an informative, systematic process that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We strive for the inerrant and accurate interpretation of the scriptures by revelation from the Holy Spirit. We are established to give His counsel as pertains to what He has revealed in His Word. Tune in next time for The Defender. The Defender is copyright by James Fox Ministries and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.